0: Good afternoon everyone. So today uh we're gonna be talking about a difficult gift. A difficult gift. And I don't know if you guys went went on the website to look at the little blurb or received the newsletter from I want to say MailChimp, but anyway, there's a company that sends out that that newsletter. I think you guys look at that. <laughs> anyway, so as you guys know, today's today's message is about forgiveness. And the more I thought and reflected upon this message and the more that I actually read through the verses that I had jotted down on my notes, I realized the difficult gift goes beyond beyond forgiveness. And what I want to do is invite you guys to open up your Bibles with me. We're going to John chapter 15, verse 13. John chapter 15, verse 13. And we're going to start our message here in this, in this passage. So it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, if you're still turning there. John chapter 15 and verse 13. And here Jesus says, No one has greater love than this, that one lays down his life for his friends. And so Jesus here identifies the greatest kind of love that is humanly possible. Now if you go just one verse before that, in verse 12, it says, My commandment is this, to love one another just as I have loved you. And so my question when I read through this passage is, well, what kind of love does Jesus love us with? And you guys are familiar with that famous tr- uh, text in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, where it says God reveals his love to us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Or while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so, think about these three verses. On one hand, Jesus says, the greatest kind of love that is humanly possible is what? In review. To yeah, to die for your friends. Now he says, but I want you to love the way that I love. And he doesn't die for his friends, he dies for his enemies. Now, this concept of dying for somebody, that's a pretty big sacrifice. And there are other texts that talk about dying for people or dying for a good cause. One of them is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I'm just going to give you a string of texts to think about initially. And then I want to spend a thoughtful moment reflecting on this with you. So First Corinthians chapter thirteen, this is known as the love chapter, and if you look at verse three, here Paul talks about. He gives a description as to what love is not before he goes into what love is. So in verse three, he says, "If I give away everything I own, and if I give over my body in uh, my body to be burned, but do not have love, I receive nothing. I have no benefit, or uh, there is no profit." And so. Here Paul says you can die for somebody and it be meaningless if you don't have love. And so my question is, well, how do you sacrifice your life to somebody and have it be meaningful? How can you put your heart into it, if you will? And as I reflect on this, I think rather than dying for somebody and making it meaningful, it's more meaningful if you actually live for somebody first. And then it becomes meaningful if you die for them. And so if you think about what Jesus did for us, he doesn't just appear on Calvary all of a sudden, die, and then go back up to heaven. And he's like, alright, salvation is given to you. He actually comes, lives with us for 33 and a half years, knows what it's like to be human, builds a sense of understanding, observes what it's like to be on this earth, and then he says, I know what it's like to be tempted. I know what it's like um, to live your life, and then... He dies for us. So, before Jesus dies for us, in order for it to be meaningful for us, He actually lives for us. And so, the Bible doesn't just talk about an act of forgiveness. The Bible, the Christian worldview presents this concept of the importance of reconciliation. And so, today, the difficult gift that we're going to be talking about is actually reconciliation. And so, there's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness can be a single-party action that gives a person peace. But reconciliation requires both parties to be involved in order for there to be healing. Now, forgiveness can even be a selfish thing, if you will. I don't know if, if you can go on Google and you type, How to Forgive, there are times where Christian uh, websites will pop up and they'll be like, Seven steps to forgiveness, or 12 steps to forgiveness. But then right under those Christian sites are actually modern psychologists that talk about the importance of forgiveness and how forgiveness is important in the evolutionary process for self-preservation. Because what happens is you are able to forgive somebody, and then it heals you. And so you can forgive selfishly. And that's not really a gift or something that is a betterment to society or a way to promote Goodness to others, and so um, yeah, the Bible talks about this sense of reconciliation. Now, what I want to do is share three reasons why the Bible shares that this concept of or the this uh, yeah this act of reconciliation is important. Three reasons why it's important, and in the midst of the why, I'm going to try to share the how, and hopefully, as we go into the discussion period, we'll be able to discuss a little bit more about. Um, what it really means to forgive and to really define, get into the nitty-gritties of uh, forgiveness and reconciliation. So here's the first reason why I, well, I guess there are tons of reasons why uh, reconciliation is important, but I've just picked three. So the first reason is uh, the witnessing effect. So if you can turn in your Bibles to John chapter 13, verse 35. John chapter 13, verse 35. Jesus says, everyone will know by this that you are my disciples. And help me out here. How does Jesus know, if every, how does everybody know that we are Jesus' disciples? If what? Yeah, if you have love for one another. Now, I have often wondered, okay, we are a part of a particular church denomination, a particular church group, and there is a distinctive reason why this group is important, and there are is proof or evidence that other people who are not a part of of the Adventist Church would want to join the Adventist Church. Now, generally speaking, we say, it's because it's the Sabbath. You know, we keep the Sabbath. And so, if other people would know about the Sabbath, then they would join us, because we have the truth, right? Or the sanctuary, or the state of the dead, or the second coming, or and the list goes on and on and on. And so, here in John chapter 13, Jesus gives the identifying mark of God's church. And if you read through it, that identifying mark is unity. The ability to be able to have love for one another, so that when unbelievers see the quality of love inside of God's true church, they can say, I have not seen this kind of love anywhere else, I want to join it. And Jesus says, you want to know how to tell other people that you know me? Get along with one another. That's, that's the key indicator. That's the uh, identifying mark of God's true church. Now, I want to share one more verse that's very similar to this. Um, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. And as much as possible, we try to have these family worships where we just kind of read through five or six verses together. Before the day ends, and we gather together, and we try to read, and we discuss, and anyway, this week we came across Ephesians chapter 4, and I thought this was so profound, just thought it was fitting for this, but in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, the Bible says, I therefore, the prisoner for the Lord, urge you to live worthily of the calling with which you have been called. In other words, Paul is talking to the church of Ephesus, and he says, Ephesians, I want you to be worthy of of the calling that God calls you to now when I think of that term or that word worthy it's kind of like you've got to be excellent like you've got to be worth it right because that word worth it kind of implies value so there is a quality that you have that nobody else has and you need to develop that quality and so here we go to verse 2 and notice what that quality is he says with all humility and gentleness with patience bearing with one another in love make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace now when I usually think of worth or value I think of excellence right I think of get it right in other words if you get it right and other people have it wrong they'll come to you and say you've got it right and it's often this sense of getting it right, that there's a sense of superiority, if you will. Like, hey, we're right, you're wrong. Maybe you need a little bit of what I've got, right? I don't know if you felt like that, but... When the guys kind of hang out and we're doing a... Like a bro activity together, like, right? Let's say we're going... I don't know. This is going to sound silly because I'm skinny, but let's say we go to the gym together, Right? I do go to the gym, I am skinny, but uh, what happens is, I've got a friend and he's ripped, like he's shorter than I am and he's like right? And so whenever we go and we're lifting, he'll be like, hey Roy, let me me give you some advice as to how you're really supposed to lift it. I'm like, alright, and then he, he gives me pointers on like posture and that type of thing. And so my point is this, usually when you're good at something, the tendency is, I've got to show the person who doesn't have it right how to do it. So if you're wrong. I've got to tell you. But here in the text, Paul says, here's how you know that you're worthy. Here's how you know that you are excellent. Your ability to handle other people's imperfection. Your ability to um, promote unity and to practice reconciliation and unity. And if you have this, you understand the worth that God places upon you. So... Before I came into ministry, I had a a Bible-working partner. His name was Jacob, and the two of us, we kind of worked together for around three years, and we were completely opposite. Uh, I came from a Korean-American background, grew up in a very Asian environment, and there's kind of this cultural sense of respect and, like, you know, discipline, and you kind of have to, you know like, Asian parents kind of tack on stuff, right? Like, it's like, oh, you're Asian, so therefore you have to learn how to play the piano. Or, oh, you're Asian, so you have to learn how to play multiple instruments at the same time. You know, like, it's just that there are expectations placed upon you because of the culture and environment. Whereas Jacob was from the Midwest of America, born and raised in Michigan, no restrictions whatsoever. You know, it was like Asian and then American, and then you put the two together, And we were forced to live and work together. And that kind of caused lots of conflict and friction, if you will. We took those uh, Meyer-Briggs tests. Have you guys ever taken the MBTI? All right. So uh, my my result was ISTJ. So I'm like in one corner. So that's uh, introverted, small picture. Um, I make decisions based off of thought as opposed to feeling. And I like things organized. Even if I'm not always organized, I like it organized. So... Here's Jacob. He's on the way opposite of the corner. He is an ENFP. So he's an extroverted, big picture thinker. He makes decisions off of his feelings as opposed to his thoughts. And he is not organized and he doesn't even try to be organized. And so that's Jacob. This is me and we come together. And uh, (laughs) in almost every single thing that we would do, we would do things differently. And I try to be like calculated. So um, if, uh, let's say, a homeless person comes and asks me for money, like, I think they're okay, how am I going to respond to this situation? Now, as a Christian, I want to do the right thing. And so, I'll ask the person, are you hungry? Right? And if they're hungry, okay, I'll go buy them something to eat. But I won't give them money, right? And so, I would always ask people the question, are you hungry? Are you hungry? Now, Jacob's completely different, where he would walk by a homeless person, and he'd look at the guy, and he's like, oh. And he'd take off his hat and give it to him and then come back home. And I'm like, Hey man, where's your hat? And he's like, Oh, I gave it to a person, you know, that was sitting on the, on the corner of the street because I felt bad for him and I was thinking, I would never do that. Like I would just never do that. Now, having said that we both kinda of turned into each other through that process anyway. But um so that's Jacob and I. And anyway, we argued a lot. Like a lot. I almost think Jacob was preparation for marriage almost, in the sense of like, just having differences, communicating differently, coming from different backgrounds. And it came up to a point in time where it seriously affected the two of us, and both of us were doing ministry, we were here in Australia, and we're supposed to be teaching people about the love of Jesus, and we cannot get along with each other at all. Like, it's... Friday night, and the dishes are not done, and Jacob's like, hey, how come the dishes aren't done, I'm like, I'll do it later, and I don't know what happened before that, but it was like, there was a lot of tension, but it kind of exploded at the dishes, and so he came up to me, he's like, hey, how come the dishes aren't done, I'm like, oh, just you know, leave me alone, and he comes, and he hits me on the arm, I looked at him, and I was like, oh, <laughs> and it's kind of like, it wasn't like a hit, he kind of like slapped me on the arm, and, <laughs> and anyway, I was like, I went to my room, he goes to his room, and then we're like, all right, we can't do this anymore. Like we're supposed to be like doing things for Jesus, and we're hitting each other because we didn't do the dishes, and this is becoming very. It's we're just being immature. So how do we handle this? Um, and as we kind of talk through how to how to reconcile, um, we we both decided to follow um, advice that's given in Matthew chapter eighteen. If you want to go there, uh, Matthew chapter eighteen, and you can just skim this. I'll narrate it. But you guys are familiar with that verse that says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And uh, yeah, if you go to Matthew chapter 18 and you read uh, verses, uh, starting from verse 14, it kind of gives advice as to how to approach somebody that you have a difference with. And basically, uh, I guess starting from verse 15, it says, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault. When two of you are alone, if he listens to you, you have regained a brother. And so there's this idea of when you've done something wrong to somebody, go and talk to them. Now, the verse says, go and show your brother his fault. And I guess if you want to be more gender inclusive here, you can say, go to your sister and show her her fault. Now, I don't know if... If you've ever done that, um, and I don't know if that's ever led to anything good, (laughs) where you're like, let me show you an area where you need to be fixed. (laughs) But uh, when I read that, uh, there's this concept where um, some people call it the safe box or the safe zone, where you go and you just share and unload what's on your chest. Or in other words, some people call it, some people say, say what needs to be said. In other words, if you're frustrated with something, you need to share, because Sometimes what happens is you just kind of bottle up and bottle up and bottle up, and then something happens like the dishes aren't done, and then boom, right? And so uh, the Bible is kind of giving this advice as to this is how you let off your steam: go to the individual and just you share with that person what's really going on. Now, what what we did, what we decided to do was if something, anything happened that would bother us, we would just call each other out, like, hey. I don't like your pants, and then we'd come together and we'd talk about it. And so we would just make it a point, if something frustrates us, sit down and talk about it. And what ended up happening is, I don't know if you've shared your feelings and your frustrations with somebody, and in the midst of sharing, you realize kind of how silly the situation really is. And I almost think this exercise is good for the person who's really upset, because sometimes... Something happens, you have a negative feeling, and then it gets compounded by other feelings that are not true. And so as you unload, that person can say, oh no, that didn't actually happen, or oh, I didn't actually mean that. Or, And so there's this really important um, aspect of sharing what you're really feeling, because it gives you the ability to become accurate with what actually happened, and you can actually deal with your feelings that way. And so here in Matthew chapter 18, the Bible says, Go to that individual that has wronged you and tell them why you're upset. Tell them why you're upset. Now, if you go on um, in verse 16, uh, excuse me, uh, if you go to verse 18 and 19, this uh, verse is quoted regularly in prayer meetings. Like, where two or three are gathered, uh, excuse me, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And we kind of share this verse to be like, as long as there's two people here or three people here, God will answer our prayers. And if you look at the context of this verse, that's not what it's talking about. What this verse is saying is, when you have a broken relationship with somebody and there needs to be reconciliation, when those two people come together in the name of Christ for the sake of reconciliation, God will always heal that relationship, and God will always hear that prayer. And so if there's somebody in your life where you're thinking, man, I really want to reconcile with this individual, and that person is willing to sit down and hear you out, God is saying, I will heal that relationship. So if you look at verse um, 19, again, I tell you the truth, if two of you on earth agree on whatever you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. and So, in order to get to that place, you have to go to the uncomfortable place where you actually share what you're feeling and thinking and you unload your frustrations. And it's important to do that. I think as Christians, we almost struggle with the, oh, I need to be patient, and oh, I need to unload. Because if you unload, that's not being patient, right? Because I don't know about you guys, but when I unload, my emotions and feelings come out. I'm not like, dear lovely wife, Today, this is what happened. And then, da 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 -da, I love you. Like, that's usually not what happens. It's like, this happened? Why did you say this? And then, you know, I try to be condescending and whatnot. And so, like, there's a lot of emotion that comes out. And the Bible is actually saying that step is very, very important. Like, it's very, very important. So, anyway, first step of reconciliation, have that safe place where you unload your feelings, and you actually say what needs to be said. So Jacob and I, we decided to do this, and then the two of us would come together, and we would pray together, and um, yeah, we would pray together, and we would reconcile. Now, what happened was, um, while the two of us were Bible-working, we befriended a young lady in the church, and she was... Uh, very active in church. She was a cell group leader. Uh, she had, she was a first-generation Adventist. And uh, she had uh, come from Asia. And um, it was near the end of our time as Bible workers. And it was her birthday. And a group of us took her out to eat. And she said, uh, well, we, we kind of had speeches for her where we shared things that we appreciated about her. And she, in turn, actually shared things that she appreciated about us, because there was a small group of us there. And she said, You know, I've been here at this church for, I think it was five years at that time. And she said, my greatest blessing being here at this church was knowing you, Roy, and Jacob, like together as friends. Like that's been my greatest blessing at this church. Now, Jacob and I sat there and we were reflecting. The church that we were at had excellent discipleship, excellent leadership, people that would sacrifice huge amounts for any member they would they would do so many things just so an individual who didn't believe Christ would come to know Christ and we kind of sat there and we were kind of taken back by it cuz we were thinking you know to say that the greatest blessing that she had at this church was seeing two guys that could not get along get along and be friends and include her in that circle of friendship and she was saying, that was more valuable to me than the discipleship that took place. That was more valuable to me than all the truth that I received, all the sermons that I listened to, everything that you could possibly list to say, this is a great church. And she said, you know, it was a relational aspect of seeing you guys being able to like get along and show love. That That was powerful for me. And I listened to that and I thought, I don't know what I'm doing in church. I'm like... You know, we gotta do cell group and we need to have this structure and organization and give Bible studies and those things are very important. And at the same time it just reemphasized there is this huge witnessing effect of us being able to come together to be united and to be able to share that sense of love and understanding and reconciliation with one another to others. So here's the second reason why the Bible says that reconciliation is important it is in forgiving and loving those who have hurt us that we are able to experience the love of christ for ourselves even more if you go to matthew chapter six verse twelve this is the lord's prayer and jesus is going through the lord's prayer and here in the trans or excuse me here in the account that matthew gives of the lord's prayer it's slightly different from the other accounts of the lord's prayer and i like this one phrase In verse 12, Jesus prays, Forgive us our debts as we ourselves have forgiven our debtors. And so there's this concept of when you are able to forgive somebody else, you are able to more clearly see for yourself the love and forgiveness that God has for you as an individual. In other words, who you are gives you a specific type of a perceptual lens as to how you perceive God and the world. And so, there's this story in the Old Testament where Joshua is waiting for Moses to come down out of the mountain. And what happens is, Moses is communing with God and God says to Moses, Moses, the, your people, the Israelites, they are uh, committing adultery and they've, um, basically they're leaving me. So, go down and you need to fix this problem. So, Moses comes down off the mountain. Joshua is waiting for Moses and Joshua runs to Moses and he says, Moses, there's a battle going on down in the camp of Israel. Now, in the story, what's actually happening is Israel is partying, like they're partying really hard and there's a, there's an idol, there's a golden calf and they're worshiping it and they are just living it up, if you will. Now, when I think of this story, I ask myself the question, how does Joshua hear what's going on in Israel, think it's a war when it's actually a party. Because war and party are two slightly different things, right? Like, kind of. (laughs) And so, basically, um, yeah, I kind of wonder, how do you mix the two up? Because one is, like, happy and revelry and joyous and, like, carefree, and the other is you're trying to kill people. And so, um, when I think about who Joshua was, what's his primary occupation? He's a warrior. He's a soldier. right? He leads the armies of Israel. So everything that he sees, everything that he hears, is through the perceptual lens of a warrior. And so he thinks, war, but it's actually a party. And he's got it wrong because of who he is. Now, I don't know if you, have from your own personal occupation, you perceive the world through a, pers- uh, uh, a specific lens. Uh, like Galen, I know you look around the city and you're thinking, What properties are for sale, right? (laughs) Now, since getting to know you, I actually kind of do the same thing. I'm like, oh, there's a for sale sign. But before meeting you, I never would have cared. (laughs) Like, I wouldn't have looked at it that way at all. And I'm just saying, who we are determines how we experience our lives. And so, in the Bible, Jesus says, forgive. Because as you give forgiveness, you are able to experience and receive forgiveness more deeply for yourself. And there's almost this challenge there, because what if you don't see God as a forgiving God? How are you able to give? How are you able to give? When I, what, right before Jin Ha and I uh, got engaged, actually, her her parents were going to come to uh, my my home and meet my family for the first time, and the families were going to have serious talk, you know, like get together, meet each other. And this was kind of probably the most important moment of my life up until that point. And so I kind of wanted everything to go well. And so I had asked my dad, um, and I call him Appa, I'm like, hey Appa, uh family is going to come here. I was wondering, can you take some time off work and, um, yeah, just spend time with her family and then we can come together and, anyway, we can be a family together. And so Um, My dad's like, yeah, yeah, I'll take time off. And so there's uh, about a three-month break, and I'm slowly getting the house ready and, like, you know, mowing the lawn, painting the house, making sure everything's good. And then uh, two weeks before it's time for Jinha's family to come, like, Jin Ha and I are talking on the phone. Okay, everything is set up? Everything's set up. And so uh, I I come to my dad. I'm like, hey, so two weeks, yeah? Like, you're going to be spending time with us? Like, you're, thank you, you're able to... um, yeah, just spend some quality time. And he was like, sorry, what? And I was like, you, Jinha's family is coming to spend time with our family. Like, did you take time off work? And he's like, oh, I forgot. And I was like, are you serious? And he owned his own business at the time. So I'm kind of like, you take time off work. And I was really mad at him. <laughs> and my dad was like, oh, I can't because I have this, 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 and this set up. Like, I can't take time off work. And I was, I was just so mad at my dad. I was like, if Jin Ha's family is turned off from this and the relationship falls apart, it's your fault. You know, like in my mind, I'm think- I didn't say that to him, but I was just thinking like, ah! <laughs> and so here's what happened. For uh, three days, I just could not talk to my dad. Like I couldn't look at him, couldn't be around him, couldn't talk to him. I just I sat in my room and I was just like, isolated myself. And my dad would come, and he'd, like, open the door. And he's like, son, can I come in? And it's his house. Like, the house belongs to him, right? And I was like, no! And he's like, okay. And then he'd shut the door and walk away. And three days of just, I was just unhappy. And I would try and connect with God and try and pray. And I was just kind of like, I, like, it's so hard right now because I can't bring myself to, I can't bring myself to Uh, like, get over this? And at the same time, I feel guilty myself because I'm treating my dad in a way that's not great. I'm upset. I don't feel good about that. Nobody is happy in the house. And so it's kind of like, how do I get over this? And so day number three, I think to myself, I need to blow off the steam. I'm going to go out of the house. Now, my dad has an office in the he turned the car park of the house into his office. And so he, he works out of the office. And he, he was a dental technician. And so he's working away in the lab. And um, my car is in front of, you know, in front of the lab. And so I've got to go through the lab to get to my car. And so I am uh, I'm about to exit. I'm going through the garage. I'm going through the office. And I kind of, like, I walked past. And I was like, you know, like, kind of like, <laughs> like, that's how I felt. And I'm, like, walking past my dad, and I'm about to open the door to get to my car, and I'm just so convicted, and the Holy Spirit is just going, Roy, you really need to forgive your dad, like, you really need to forgive your dad, and I have my hands on the door of the house, and so I let go, I let go of the, um, yeah, I let go of the door of the, the front of the house, I walk, I walk over to my dad, and I just kind of grabbed his hand, because he was working, and he looks up at me and I was like, I'm really sorry for the way that I've been treating you over the past three days. Like, uh, it's not right for me to do that. And my dad gets up and he gives me a hug and he just starts repeating over and over and again, like, I'm sorry that I've been such a bad father. Like, I'm so sorry that I've been a bad dad. And I was like, I'm, I'm really sorry that I've been like a bad son. And so, you know, we, we made up and I go back to my room and like, I just, Come to my bed, and I'm just about to say, God, like I'm really sorry for the way that I've been acting. And as as I'm saying, God, I'm sorry for the way that I've been acting. There's this strong sense of the love of God just going, Roy, I forgive you. Like, it's it's very okay. And that was one of the moments in my life where I really remember the presence of God in a very physical way, even where, like, feeling my. You know when. Um, you feel like somebody's looking at you, and you turn, and then somebody is looking at you. Or there's that sense where you're um, somewhere, you're reading, and then you can feel somebody behind you, and you turn around and somebody's behind you. Like there's this physical feeling of God just saying, like, I forgive you. Like, I'm, I'm here. And there's something powerful, and I guess this is the second thing is to how to forgive. Uh, there's something powerful about going to somebody and first... Um, apologizing and usually when somebody has done me wrong I have also retaliated and I've given a feeling of like I want distance from you right now and uh, there's something powerful about first going and just saying hey listen I'm actually sorry for the way that I've been acting and um, usually reconciliation if you just read it word for word in terms of the biblical counsel, you would go to somebody and say I forgive you but that can kind of be condescending, especially if the person doesn't feel like they've done anything wrong. (laughs) And so if you go to somebody and you're like, I just want you to know, brother, that I forgive you, and I just want to move on, and that person's like, who are you? And so um, what what I find is, when I know that person knows that I'm unhappy, if I go to that individual and I just say, listen, I just want to say sorry, um, it's amazing how that level of understanding reciprocates the same thing where the person says, you know what, I've actually done wrong to you as well, and, and then comes reconciliation. And what i found is it's in those moments of um, obedience, if you will, that mercy is experienced in a very powerful way. And I have found, I used to think, look, I need to first experience mercy to give mercy, which I think there's an element of truth there. But I also think it's circular in the sense of there are times when you first give mercy, and you really experience mercy in a very profound, powerful way for yourself. The second reason for giving forgiveness is that you really experience the love of God in your own life in a very powerful way. So, here's the third and final reason. Um, So, I guess just in review, uh, the first reason why uh, the Bible calls us to forgive and to experience reconciliation is the witnessing effect. Uh, The second reason is to Um, experience the love of God for yourself. And the third reason uh, to give forgiveness or reconciliation or to seek reconciliation is because it cures bitterness in the soul. Now, for those of you who have really been deeply wronged by somebody, sometimes it can lead to a wound that's there that doesn't seem to want to go away. And this is what happens to me. When when there are times where I really have bitterness in my heart, Whenever I see the individual, there's kind of like this churning sense inside of, like this inside of my stomach where I'm kind of thinking, ah, I don't know how to act around this person because I've really been hurt. And being around that person, there's almost this fear of, I'm going to get hurt again. And so there's emotional distance that gets put between me and the party that has wronged me or, or vice versa. And so, yeah, there's this challenge of bitterness and the question of how do you get rid of how do you get rid of bitterness and you can almost even love bitterness when when wrong is done to you and uh, generally there's that rule of thumb it's easier to forgive early on when a wrong has been done but sometimes when the wrong has been done there's a sense of entitlement of like I am allowed to be upset at you and I kind of want to enjoy that moment because it feels empowering if you will and what usually happens is out uh, there, there's this quote that says Bitterness is the poison that we drink, hoping somebody else will die. And we have this sense of justice and entitlement because we've been wronged. And we want somebody else to feel the same thing that we, we have felt. But the problem is that bitterness never goes away. And it just kind of festers and festers and festers. And if it doesn't get dealt with, like it really hurts us more than anybody else. And so there's this text in the Bible that deals with bitterness. And it's found in Ephesians chapter 4. In verses 31 and 32, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32, and I need to end this uh, here promptly. So we'll we'll end here on this text, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32. And here's what Paul says here. He says you must put away every kind of bitterness, anger, wrath quarreling and evil slanders talk. Instead, be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also forgave you. And notice here, it contrasts two ways of responding to a difficult situation or responding to um, a circumstance where somebody has hurt you. One is you can become bitter, you can become angry, or you can gossip afterwards. But in verse 32, it gives another way of responding to that circumstance, and that's to be compassionate and forgive somebody. And the greatest, most effective cure to bitterness is actually forgiveness and even reconciliation. Uh, really, I, I saw this happen to my dad first before I really experienced it in my own life. Uh, but um, my dad kind of had a rough, rough run um, in his in his relational experiences where. Uh, my mother, his first wife, passed away um, when she was in her forties, and so they were both quite young. And then later on, he had a relationship uh, with a, a second lady, and um, basically, she was from Canada. He lived in in the U.S., and they heard about each other, and they they got married. Now, my dad, we we didn't, weren't very well off, and so he was never did really well. But when he met this woman, he said, "Listen, like." You know, I really want to have a relationship with you, but I want you to know first, I'm not wealthy, and so if you marry me, you just have to know that I'm poor. And she said, oh, that's okay, that's okay. And what ended up happening is, uh, they got married, the first little bit was fine, and then she really realized what it meant to be poor, because we were poor. And so, uh, she was not happy in that environment, and she would communicate to my dad, like, hey, I, I... I'm not happy in this situation, and it kind of escalated, and she really was not happy. Well, one day I come back, and she's not in the house anymore, and I kind of asked my dad, hey, what happened? And he said, oh, like, the lady, she left me, and I, up until that point, uh, I was was probably coming out of my teens and really hadn't experienced what it's like to feel for somebody else, but that was kind of one of the few moments where I really felt for my dad, where, um, you know, it's one thing to lose your wife once, and then you get into another relationship, and the person leaves you again because you don't have a lot of money. And that was kind of, you know, for me, it was just, it was frustrating, and I saw what my dad went through, and I was kind of like, yeah, that kind of stinks. Well, a couple years passed, and uh, my dad gets a phone call, and it's this lady, and she says, hey. my sister has a daughter, um, and she wants to study in the state of Washington, where we live, live. And she said, can you take care of her? And my dad's like, yeah, yeah, send her send her over, We'll, we'll take care of her. And he comes to my brother and I. I have a brother that's seven years older than I am. And he says, hey, um, you know, my ex-wife, her sister's daughter or her niece is wanting to study here at the university. Can you guys show her around and kind of you know, find her a place to stay and that type of thing. And my brother and I were like, no? <laughs> like, are you serious? <laughs> like, what kind of request is that? I, I just kind of thought, why would she do that <laughs> anyway? And my dad is like, oh, just, just do it, just do it, just do it. And my, we, my brother reluctantly uh, showed her around. And what would happen is for about a couple of years, my dad would just if she needed anywhere to go that she couldn't access by public transportation, he would go pick her up and take her around. Or if she needed anything, he would go get it for her. Or if her friend was coming from Korea and needed a pickup from the airport, he would go pick her up. And uh, one time it's Thanksgiving dinner, and uh, my dad says, hey, how do you feel about us inviting this girl to um, have dinner with us? And, of course, we said no. (laughs) And we just thought, why are you doing this to yourself? (laughs) And he just said, ah, just go pick her up, pick her up, pick her up. And, you know, he's our dad, so i like, all right, fine. So I go pick her up, and, you know, I'm looking at this girl, and I think, ah, this is kind of so weird. And so I'm like, hi, how are you doing? What are you studying? And, you know, we're just driving. And, you know, the, the night progresses on, and, you know, it's time for dinner, and my dad, you know, puts a plate of food in front of her and serves her and asks her, hey, do you want any refills? Do you want me to, you know, are you still thirsty? Can I get anything for you? And... Anyway, he serves this girl, and uh, we close Thanksgiving dinner and send her back home. And I, you know, I'm talking to my dad, and I'm asking him, "Hey, like, so tell me more about, you know, your ex-wife's niece." And he looks at me and he says, "Oh yeah, um, my ex-wife has a twin sister, and that girl is her twin sister's daughter. And so like, every time he's looking at this girl and serving her food." and refilling her drink like he's looking at the face of his wife because her sister's her twin. And I kind of looked at him and I was like, "Why did you do that? <laughs> like, why why are you doing that?" And he's like, "You know, Roy, maybe maybe this is her one chance of learning about the love of Christ because, you know, she's she's never going to be able to experience Jesus like her family's not Christian and maybe this is one time where I get to show her like what God's love is like. And I thought, man, that's like that's something that I really need to learn for myself. And and he said, you know, there's one other thing. You know, I think God is a genius. And my, the way that my dad words things is sometimes funny and yet profound. And he says, I think God is a genius because if you don't forgive somebody, you're gonna it, it hurts you. Like like I think if God didn't forgive all of the bad things we do to Him, He would die. And I just kind of thought about that for a second, kind of like, yeah, that's true. Like, how how would you handle it if there's, are, what, there are six trillion people in the world, and we sin every single day, and Jesus experiences the guilt of that on Calvary, and actually, it did kill him in a sense, and yet, it gave him life because he forgave. And so, my dad is just like, it's so freeing to be able to forgive, And, um, anyway, time passed by, and this girl sent my dad a letter, and, uh, in it, she had, like, Korean clothes for him. Have you guys ever seen Korean clothes? It's terrible. Like, it's just, it's like neckties, but they've got, like, plastic gems down them, and it's, like, uh, pink shirts that have the same thing, like, if light shines on someone wearing it, like you're gonna get blinded. Like it's just, it's, it's terrible. <laughs> and anyway, she she sends my dad this gift and she writes a letter and she says, uh, "To my Seattle dad, I just want to say thank you." And she she sent him these gifts and my dad wore it proudly. He still wears it proudly. And I just every time I just think, man, that necktie is blinding me right now. <laughs> and anyway, it was just so amazing how. In our own broken family, uh, because of this teaching of reconciliation and forgiveness, this girl would call um, my dad her dad, and our family actually grew as a result of that. And I suppose that's that's what God is trying to teach us, and that's the message that He's trying to get our church to be able to convey to others that there is the ability to reconcile and to forgive. And to get over our hurts, and in that process, our family will grow. Because who else is able to do and to teach these things? And it's the foundation of the gospel, really. And so um, it's my prayer that as we talk about forgiveness, as we experience it for ourselves, um, that our family would grow, and not—it's not just a numbers thing, but it's it's a quality of life thing more than anything and um yeah i i pray that as you guys reflect on these things and uh even read the word of god for yourself throughout the week and and even think through uh, who can i reconcile with that this would really tremendously bless your life and um so with that um i hope you guys have a happy sabbath um
1: Stand before you now So I've never sinned Today I feel like I'm just one mistake away From you leaving me this way Jesus, can you show me just how far The east is from the wind Cause I can't bear to see the man I've been Rising up and One scarred hand to the other.
0: in prayer Father God, we desire that security that you desire to give us. and Father, I pray that you would inspire us with belief and inspire us with faith in your goodness, in your righteousness, in your uh, thoughts of mercy towards us, that in that security we would experience reconciliation with you and that we would also be able to give that reconciliation to those around us. Father, it's my prayer that in this church, in this place, we would be able to give that security and safety to those um, that are seeking something more in this world, For those that are seeking desperately to find you, to find peace, to find answers, to find love. Uh, may we be able to uh, connect them to you in this place. And uh, Father, as we discuss, uh, I pray that you would grant us your spirit, as we discuss, may we be able to uh, explore your word more uh, in, a, in a deeper, more meaningful way. And um, yeah, I just want to ask that you would bless the time of time of uh, sharing and reflection. We pray in your name. Amen.